Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it's been a volatile couple of days in the global financial markets, in particular, the foreign exchange and the precious metals markets. But before I get into all that, I want to give a special shout out to the newest sponsor of the Peter Schiff Show podcast, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Let's thank Raycon for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbud on the market. And you can get a 15% discount off an already low price when you buy your Raycon earbuds at buyraycon.com forward slash gold. Well, the stock market yesterday, there was a huge rally in the NASDAQ. You know, while the overall stock market kind of went nowhere, the Dow was relatively flat, all this money was piling in to these overpriced momentum stocks, all the stocks that everybody has agreed are the ones that benefit from COVID-19. These are the stay-at-home stocks, the ones that aren't seeing their earnings implode. And since so many investors don't know how to invest in this environment, right? They don't know what to do because we're in a recession, earnings are collapsing, uh, the deficits are skyrocketing, you've got all this political uncertainty, Trump is probably going to lose. Massive tax hikes are on the horizon. And so what is everybody doing? Well, they're just buying the stocks that are up the most and that are the most expensive, where you don't have to worry if their earnings go down because no one gives a damn about their earnings anyway. That's why they're buying the stocks. I mean, you would think these people would have enough sense to figure out that these companies are still going to get affected by COVID-19 because so many of their customers are about to be broke. And just because people have access to your products doesn't mean they're going to be able to buy your products. Just because they can buy your products from home doesn't mean they're going to do it if they don't have any money. Now, maybe everybody assumes that they'll never run out of money because the government is committed uh, to sending out money. In fact, I looked at the statistics now on retail sales 
And it actually is a fact now that the people who lost their jobs, right, the people who are now unemployed are actually spending more money than they were spending when they still had jobs. Now, why is that? Well, because so many more unemployed people are earning more money not working than when they were working. And of course, they're not actually earning it. They're just receiving it. But rather than saving the windfall, they're just going out and spending it. And so that extra spending has artificially goosed uh, the economy. And obviously, the companies that are getting the lion's share of that spending are the ones that are operating online, where people don't have to physically show up you know, at somebody's store or business and, and you know, risk exposure to COVID. So sure, some of these businesses are seeing a pickup in sales, but it's not going to last because either their customers are going to run out of money or their customers' money is going to run out of purchasing power because the price of everything these companies are selling is going to go way up and uh, the customers are going to be priced out of the market, right? What they should be doing is looking at gold stocks, looking at silver stocks, understanding that those are the real COVID plays because the way the government is trying to prop everything up and bail everybody out is by creating inflation. And the best hedge against inflation is not an overpriced uh, you know, social media company, uh, but extremely undervalued mining companies that are mining the money that the Federal Reserve can't print and the money that's likely to replace the U.S. dollar uh, in the global financial system as the primary reserve asset for central banks, and that is gold. In fact, it's ironic because I just heard today that it looks like Judy Shelton's nomination to be on the FOMC, that's the Federal Open Market Committee, may just get approved after all. And the reason is because after I don't know how many months of, uh, of pressure, they finally uh, got Judy Shelton's mind right, you know, because she has completely repudiated, right, everything she's ever believed, right? So, you know, she's, she's no longer in favor of a gold standard. That's the big thing, right? But so, so she doesn't care about sound money anymore. She doesn't care about limited government. She doesn't care about free market economics. And so therefore now she's totally qualified uh, to be on the FOMC, right? But the reason I think it's ironic is because in order to approve her, she has to reject the gold standard and say, no, 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 I'm not in favor of a gold standard. On the eve of the global uh, financial market, probably going back to a gold standard, despite the Federal Reserve's objection, because the dollar is about to collapse. And when it does, gold is going to take its place and gold is going to resume its role as at the center of the monetary system. The world is going back to a gold standard, whether the Federal Reserve wants one or not. In fact, it's not going to be the U.S. government leading the world back to a gold standard the way the U.S. government led the world off the gold standard. The world is going to drag the U.S. back onto the gold standard as it's kicking and screaming. But that is what's going to happen. So ironically, the, the gold standard is coming back, even though they made Judy Shelton repudiate it in order to get a ticket uh, to, to the FOMC. But anyway, the big move up in the NASDAQ was reversed today. I mean, not a complete reversal in that over the two days, the NASDAQ is still positive, but it was down today, right? The NASDAQ finished the day down 86 points, so about 
eight tenths of a percent. I mean, nothing like the rally that we had yesterday. It was up a couple hundred points. But, you know, it was weak all day, even as the Dow was up 300 and change. And the Dow gave back half of its uh, gains, uh, you know, in the last hour of the day. And that's really when the Nasdaq went from about flat to slightly lower uh, to down a, you know, a more substantial uh, amount. But again, the real action was in the precious metals market and in the Forex market. Silver in particular was the standout. I've been talking about the potential for silver on this podcast for some time. I've been predicting that we would have a very big move, uh, single day big moves. And though uh, we did have a big move today, this is not the big move that I've been forecasting. What I think is going to happen is going to be much bigger than today's you know, 7% gain at the peak. You know, silver ended up closing up about a dollar thirty and change over twenty one twenty. As I'm looking at it now, it's actually twenty one twenty seven, up a dollar thirty nine. This is a six year high in silver. We've blown through a couple of previous highs. Again, silver was up at fifty dollars uh, in two thousand eleven. That is the next stop. Believe it or not, that's where the real resistance is, and that's where we're going. But once we get through $50 an ounce, we're going to move much, much higher because we have a huge double top in silver right now. We have $50 looms very large, but there's an old saying about these double tops. I think they're made to be broken and silver is going to break this double top. It's, and the, the fact that it's been there for so long uh, means that when it does break, look out because silver first got to 50 bucks in 1980, right? That's when the Hunt brothers tried to corner the market and everybody was rushing uh, to sell their their, their silverware uh, because they were getting $50 an ounce. I mean, that was $50 back in 1980. $50 still had some value uh, back in 1980. And silver did not get back in at $50 again until 2011, Right. And it was just there very briefly. And then it collapsed. And, you know, you could have bought silver for what, 11, 12 bucks uh, back in March. In fact, I bought some physical for myself at Shift Gold. I bought some extra coins, you know, right early in, uh, you know, the COVID crisis. I wanted more silver uh, to use as barter. And I bought some myself. And I never was like 12 bucks an ounce or something like that to buy these one ounce rounds. Um, and in fact, I, there was one guy, I think I mentioned on the podcast, a guy in Puerto Rico bought $300,000 worth of it down there, and it was shipped to my house because they wouldn't take it at his house. He came in an Uber to my house to come pick it up. You know, he had a, he had a, the Uber driver had a mask on, he had a mask, he showed up and he picked up $300,000 worth of silver. I mean, it, he needed, uh, you know, three or four trips uh, to get it all in the car because it takes up a lot of space. But now, you know, 2127, and what is this? You know, we're not even finished with July yet, but we're still not back at 50. 50 is a very, very huge number. But once we take it out, and once 50 goes from being resistance to being support, it's going to be massive support. And it is going to provide kind of like a launching pad for a massive move up in the price of silver. In fact, I think one of the reasons 
that gold's rise was a little subdued yesterday because silver was up big yesterday, not as much as today. It was up over 50 cents. Uh, Gold was only up a few bucks because I think we're unwinding these spreads. The last of the long gold, short silver spreads. My guess is the traders are unwinding these trades. Uh, And so temporarily, in order to do that, you have to sell gold to and buy your silver. So that's kind of suppressing gold. Although today, gold was up $23.50, $18.41. That's a new nine-year high. Uh, but the percentage gain, not nearly as large as the percentage gain in silver. But I think the unwinding of this trade is very important. And once they're finished unwinding, then that you know that bit of selling pressure on gold is going to be gone, but all the selling pressure on silver is going to be gone because no one's shorting it anymore. They're just going to be buying it, right? And silver has a long way to go. You know, people who just don't know what to buy, and so they're just by default, you know, uh, buying Peloton, you know, or 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 Netflix or Tesla. Why don't you take a look at silver? You know, by the way, you need silver uh, in, in you know in a lot of. Uh, manufacturing, you know, people don't realize there's a lot of industrial uses too uh, for silver in addition to its monetary properties. And silver is in short supply. So I think uh, when people start looking at that, it's going much, much higher. This is bullish for gold too. I think the fact that silver was never confirming the gold bull market, some people saw that as a non-confirmation. And so another reason not to believe in the gold bull market because silver wasn't, uh, you know, participating. Well, now it is. Uh, and so you can't say that anymore. I think the same thing with the mining stocks. Yesterday, the mining stocks were very, very strong. Not just the silver mining stocks that exploded and that exploded again today. But even though we didn't have much of a move up in gold yesterday, the gold stocks were very strong, particularly the juniors. Again, today, the juniors are killing it. Uh, the bigger stocks you know, didn't have much of a gain. I mean, they they opened a lot stronger than they closed. But again, I think this just shows that there's still some uh, waning skepticism out there for this rally. People still don't get it. You know, I was watching CNBC pretty much all day today in the background. I mean, I can't really watch it because I'm on the phone all day now. You know, our our phones are really ringing. We got tons of inquiries now coming in. Of course, a lot of that is thanks to Joe Rogan. Uh, You know, we're getting a lot of people who heard me on the Joe Rogan podcast opening up accounts. In fact, we're so backed up. I'm I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people myself because I want to move the process along because, you know, what I'm worried about is that we don't have a lot of time. Like, you know, the bottom's going to drop out of the dollar any day. Gold could go through the roof any day. And so this is really a race, right? A race to beat the clock and and get people out of the dollar. I wish I should have done Joe, Joe Rogan, you know, a month ago. Or so when I was two months ago, because, you know, people could have got in a little sooner. But look, it's getting in now is still not too late. I mean, you have to get in, meaning you have to get out of the dollar before it's too late. But but anyway, I'm, I'm listening to CNBC on the, in the background. And I mean, they mentioned gold and silver like casually once or twice, like but no big deal. Nobody cares. They're spending all day long talking about the Nasdaq stocks. Look, the GDX year-to-date is up twice as much as the NASDAQ. Twice as much. So why doesn't it get twice as much coverage? It doesn't get any coverage. It's minimal. But, you know, it's not just that gold and silver prices are going up. Uh, That's a reason for CNBC to focus their attention on them. But what it means that they're going up, right? This means something. This means something to the economy. 
right? It means something for the financial system. Again, this is the canary in the coal mine, and the canary is dropping dead, right? And and CNBC couldn't care less about what's happened to the canary. It's ignoring the canary. You know, oh, the canary is not looking so good, but hey, let's go back to the stock market. They should be focusing on what this means. But the problem is, in order to focus on what it means, you have to understand what it means. And I don't know if any of the network anchors have a clue, because if they had a clue, they wouldn't be working there. You know, just like they made sure that Judy Shelton doesn't actually advocate sound money anymore. In order to work at CNBC, you can't, you know, have any knowledge about sound economics or or, or money or capitalism. You have to sign on uh, to to their worldview. And so in their worldview, this is just a circus, a sideshow. Who cares what's happening to the price of gold, right? I, that, I talk about that conversation I had with the late Mark Haynes on CNBC, one of my first appearances on CNBC or second or third appearances on Squawk Box. And I started talking about the price of gold because it had gone up from like 300 to 350 or something, you know, since my, you know, my last appearance on the show. And I said, look at gold, look at how much it's gone up. And Mark Haynes says, who cares about the price of gold? Why should I care about the price of coal? Exactly. You need to care. And I said back then to Mark Haynes, one day you will care. Unfortunately, he didn't live long enough uh, to realize how important the price of gold is. But a lot of his uh, comrades over there at CNBC, they're going to live long enough. They're going to see why I was so concerned about the rising price of gold. Because I understood what it meant and why I was so adamant that CNBC viewers need to buy gold. Right, which is you know why they stopped having me on because they don't want their viewers buying gold. They want to buy in these overpriced stocks. Well, eventually they're not going to have any viewers because their viewers are going to be too broke to care about the market. But the rising gold and silver price, which is about to explode. I mean, this is just the beginning of a much much bigger move. We're barely getting started, and it's also coinciding with what's happening in the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar was broadly weak today. This is one of the weakest days I've seen in the dollar all year. It fell across the board. The dollar index settled at about 95.20, down about uh, 70% or 70 basis points on the day. This is the second lowest close of the year for the dollar index. There was only one day in early March where we closed lower than this. We were at 94 in chain, 94.70 something or 94.80-ish. We're almost there. And I think once we close below that March low, then we're going to have a pretty quick drop, maybe down to around 92-ish on the dollar index before we consolidate a little bit. Uh, But the fireworks are really going to start probably when we crack 80, and then it's really going to, you know, become an all-out crisis once we hit new all-time record lows uh, down around 70. But all this could happen uh, by next year. In fact, it even could happen this year. That's how quickly the dollar could unravel. That's not my most likely scenario. I think we probably have until sometime in 2021 before it really hits the fan. But, you know, I, I don't I wouldn't press my luck on that. I wouldn't just assume that you have all the way until next year to prepare for this. Uh, I, I would make sure that you're fully prepared uh, as soon as possible, because the ramifications of not being uh, prepared are horrific. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But, you know, look at some of the individual, uh, you know, currencies, because the euro, you know, was only up about uh, 65 basis points. But look uh, at the Australian dollar up over 150 basis points. So you saw a much stronger move in like a commodity linked currency. But there are a lot of other currencies across the board, uh, emerging market uh, currencies uh, in uh, Asia and Latin America, uh, very strong against the U.S. dollar. Look at the Brazilian real up almost 3%, 3% in one day against the dollar. Now, you know, the real had some big drops on the way down. So now it's getting it back and, and regaining it. But this is the beginning of something very, very big, you know. And I noticed, you know, someone on Twitter came out today and, and said, hey, Peter, you know, you've been warning about this for a long time. How do we know that this is just not, you know, another chicken little uh, the sky is falling. Look, I recognize that I've been warning about a dollar collapse and the dollar hasn't collapsed. It's in the process of doing that. But yes, it didn't do it in the past. Somebody said, but you predicted that the uh, how, that the, the crash in housing prices would cause a dollar crash. And it didn't. It caused um, a financial crisis. I know that. I predicted that. The way I predicted the dominoes would fall, if you go back to my book, uh, the crash proof had a profit from the coming economic collapse. You can buy uh, version 2.0 on 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 Amazon in paperback. You know, the ch- books are pretty cheap. Um, but if you look if you look at the way I described it, I said we had a housing bubble. I said the housing bubble was going to pop when real estate prices fell. When that happened, people would default on their mortgages and that would impact the banks. The banks would then uh, have huge losses, uh, and there would be a financial crisis, that you'd have a bankruptcy of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and all this would cause a financial crisis. I said the financial crisis would lead to the worst recession since the Great Depression, 10% unemployment, trillion-dollar-a-year deficits. Every single thing I said would happen, happened. Then I said as a result of all that, The Federal Reserve was going to slash interest rates and print a bunch of money to try to prop everything up. That happened, too. It was the consequence of that. The rate cuts and all that money printing, that's what I thought was going to cause a dollar crash. That's the only piece of the puzzle that never came into play until now or until soon. It's going to happen. What I didn't understand or, you know, was that we would be able to kick the can down the road for a decade, that we would be able to have this financial crisis and great recession. We would be able to slash rates to zero and do all this quantitative easing, and the dollar wouldn't collapse. And the fact that it didn't collapse last time, that is what created 
this massive complacency that it's not going to collapse this time. But the, the guy on Twitter or somebody said, but, you know, what's different now? So if it didn't collapse back then, why would it collapse now? And it's not about the fact that it's different. It's just that it's so much bigger. It's so much worse. This can is just so massive that I can't even imagine the possibility of it being kicked down the road. It just doesn't even seem possible that if you tried, you would just break your foot. How could it be? I mean, you have to admit that what we're having now with COVID-19 and the current uh, reaction, government response, coupled with all of the civil unrest and the Black Lives Matter stuff, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, nobody's seen anything like this. And so the enormity of the deficits that are now being created just blows the mind on what they're doing, right? And so this is it. I mean, this is so much worse than anything that I contemplated when I was writing Crash Proof, that we would get so bad even before the dollar crashed. This is why the hyperinflation outcome where, you know, the dollar crashes to nothing is not just a long shot. It may be the most likely outcome. And that's what makes this so scary. And, you know, for people who don't think we're going to have a dollar crisis, See, this is what you have to ask. You got to ask yourself this question. Okay, if the dollar's decline really accelerates, which it certainly could, how do we stop it? How does the government stop the dollar from falling? Because otherwise, it'll just keep on going down, right? There's so many dollars in the world, and we're creating so many, we're printing so many, our deficits are massive, all right? And there's so many dollars that are just being held around the world. And if there is just a a trend where the dollar just goes down every day, well, then people are going to keep selling dollars and the dollar is going to keep falling. And then it's a self-perpetuating spiral. The more it falls, the more people want to get out. And the more they get out, the more it falls. And it's just a vicious cycle. So how do you stop that cycle? What does the U.S. government do? Well, there's only one thing it can do. It needs to reverse monetary policy. It needs to start selling into the market all of the bonds that it's been buying. It needs to shrink the money supply dramatically. It needs to withdraw money from circulation and put bonds back into circulation. Now, of course, a lot of these are junk bonds. Who the hell is going to buy them? I don't know, right? Mortgages, muni bonds, and they have to dramatically increase interest rates. How are they going to do that? Even if they wanted to do that, can they? With all the debt out there, who can pay Uh, dramatically increased interest rates. And in fact, if the Federal Reserve saves the dollar and stops it from falling, the U.S. government is going to have to abandon all of its stimulus plans and adopt austerity, right? It won't be about another stimulus or another relief package. They're going to have to be dramatically cutting government spending and raising taxes. That's what it's going to take to stop the dollar from falling. Well, can any of that happen? Of course not. I mean, there's no way that's going to happen, especially in an election year, right? Do you see massive government spending cuts on Social Security and Medicare uh, or big tax increases? They're talking about cutting the payroll tax. Is there any chance they're going to increase it just because the dollar is starting to fall and we got to appease the Chinese or the Japanese because, you know, they're losing? No, there's no way. So since it is politically impossible 
to stop the dollar from falling, well, then it's not going to stop. I mean, apparently nobody on Wall Street has heard of Murphy's Law, right? A very simple law. I mean, you'd think people would know about that now, now that we had COVID-19, right? Murphy's Law is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Well, can't you contemplate the possibility that the dollar really starts to fall, right? And if it does, we're done. I mean, foreign central banks aren't going to save our banking like they've done in the past. They're not going to come in with massive Forex intervention. In fact, they can't even do it. They, they, it would be too big. The problem is so much bigger now than it was, you know, in the past, you know, like in 1987 when foreign central banks came in uh, to try to help the dollar. Uh, they've done that. But now, look, our national debt is too big. Our unfunded liabilities our net debtor status. I mean, there's just no way. And we've pissed off all of our trading partners and creditors anyway. They're not going to, to try to help. In fact, they're going to be relieved uh, when the dollar crashes. That's been a big problem, especially for the emerging markets. So they're not going to do anything uh, to, to change that. So we're going to have to be the ones uh, to stop the bleeding. But of course, in order to do that, right, we're going to have to inflict another wound that may bleed even more. And so it's impossible to stop the dollar from falling. That's what people have to recognize. You know, and the other, you know, factor where I'm not really so sure which is, you know, going to come first, right? Which is going to be the cart and which is going to be the horse? Because you have two markets. You have the gold market and then you have the foreign exchange markets. So, one possibility is that a crash in the dollar causes a run on gold, right? So the dollar really starts to lose value against other fiat currencies. And now foreign central banks uh, want to, uh, you know, replace the dollar in their basket of reserves. And they want to have more gold. They need reserves that are holding their value. And the same thing with people around the world who have been saving dollars they want to change up. They want to go out of dollars and they want to go into gold. So it could be the weakness in the dollar that causes a run on gold. Or it could be the opposite. It could be a surge in the price of gold that causes a run on the dollar because it's almost the same thing, two sides of the same coin. Because if you're a foreign central bank and you see the price of gold going 2000 2500 3000 4000 5000 right, what you're really seeing is the value of your dollars collapsing in relation to gold. And now you want to get rid of the dollars you have to get more gold. Because gold is the U.S. dollar's principal competitor when it comes to a reserve asset. I mean, you could say the dollar competes with the euro and the dollar competes with the yen. And I think that's true. But all those currencies compete with gold. And since the dollar is the primary competitor or the primary reserve asset, it is going to be most impacted by gold. And so I think when everybody who's in the dollar's corner, right, when they when they throw in the towel because the dollar is losing this fight, they're just going to fully embrace gold. And, and so it's either going to be the dollar crashing that causes gold to soar or gold soaring that causes the dollar to crash. But, you know, you don't have to know which one it's going to be. Just get out of your dollars get into gold and get into silver and do it fast because time is running out. And I think the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to be until one day it's prohibitively expensive because at one point it may not matter how many dollars you have. You may not be able to buy any gold. The price of gold could be infinite because the dollar could be worthless. 
You know, one thing that you can do with your dollars before they become worthless is use them to buy a pair of Raycon earbuds. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, especially if it's a Peter Schiff Show podcast. And everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. So before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. In fact, I got my pair in the mail the other day. Uh, I got a free pair, but I actually have a far more expensive pair of earbuds that I had bought on my own in the market. So I did a little test and, you know, I tried out both pairs, and you know what? I couldn't really tell the difference. I mean, they're both great. The sound quality is great. They fit comfortably in your ear. Uh, but uh, the Raycons were less than half the price of what I had paid uh, for the ones that I had already bought. So why pay more when you can pay less? I teamed up with Raycon, and they're offering 15% off when you buy your Raycon uh, earbuds at Raycon.com gold. In fact, the only problem I had so far with these uh, earbuds is keeping them away from my seven-year-old son. You know, he was with me when we were testing these things out, and now he loves them, and he's constantly, you know, taking these things away from me because he wants to he wants to use them with his iPad. So I'm probably going to have to go out and get another pair, which I can do because you know these things are 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 very affordable relative to what I had paid in the past. So I really think they're an ideal sponsor for the Peter Schiff Show podcast because you can listen to the Peter Schiff Show podcast using your Raycon earbuds. Unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone uh, during video calls. The company was founded by Ray J. Some celebrities like Snoop Dogg uh, use them. Uh, so I think they're great. So get the latest and the greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off when you buy your pair at buyraycon.com slash gold. That's buyraycon.com slash gold for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash gold. So while everybody on Wall Street and on Washington is completely oblivious to the implications of what's going on in the foreign exchange markets and in the precious metals markets, Everybody is trying to scramble together to get a new relief package in place because the other relief package, the CARES Act, uh, is up in the end of uh, July. And then all those uh, extended unemployment benefits, supplemental unemployment benefits expire. And so nobody wants that to happen. So everybody is trying to come up with this new relief package. Of course, what we really need is relief from government. That is the problem. Government is too big. Government is spending too much, printing too much, borrowing too much. So the only relief that would work would be to shrink government and to allow interest rates to rise and to allow a free market economy to fix what the government broke. But that ain't going to happen. So we're going to get another one of these uh, inflation packages. And, you know, what Trump wants to do is cut the payroll tax. He's saying he's holding out for a payroll tax cut. How are we going to cut the payroll tax? The payroll taxes that we're collecting now are already insufficient to meet the government's current Social Security obligations. It's already running at a deficit. They should be increasing the payroll tax if they want to keep Social Security. If they don't want to make cuts to Social Security, they need to be increasing the payroll tax. But Trump is talking about reducing it. How are you going to do that? Well, hey, we'll just let the Federal Reserve print the money. 
So that is the new method that Trump is advocating for Social Security is, hey, let's let the Federal Reserve finance the whole thing. No, personally, yeah, I would like to completely eliminate permanently the entire payroll tax. It's a lousy tax. We should get rid of it. But then we got to get rid of Social Security because that's why the tax is there. I mean, that's the lie that Roosevelt and Congress pulled on the American public back in the 1930s when they sold us on this Ponzi scheme masquerading as an insurance program. But initially, it was a 2% tax. And it didn't cover anybody who was self-employed. They didn't start making the self-employed pay until the 1950s. Remember, the original idea was they just wanted to make sure that people who, you know, didn't save any money, you know, when they got to their old age, they weren't destitute. So if, you know, some workers weren't smart enough to set aside for their own age, that they would have this insurance program uh, that the government had, you know, provided them and they were going to put a tax on their wages. But anybody who was self-employed, they just assume, well, if you're smart enough to run your own business, you're smart enough to save for your retirement. So you don't need the government to do it for you. They only added the self-employed when they started, you know, the Ponzi scheme was running out of money. So they had to rope those guys in in order to continue uh, to to make the payments. But it is a horrible tax, a payroll tax. The whole concept of a payroll tax is bad, right? Because if you want jobs, if jobs is one of your goals and pretty much all the politicians out there, I mean, everybody wants to be a jobs president. Everybody wants to run on a jobs platform. Well, there's an old economic adage, and I forget who said it, but you get less of what you tax and you get more of what you subsidize, meaning that if the government taxes something, there'll be less of it, right? Because they're making it more expensive. A tax is a disincentive to do something. A subsidy, on the other hand, is where you're paying somebody to do something. So if you subsidize something, you'll get more of it. Like if you subsidize people not to work by paying them unemployment benefits that exceed what they were earning at a job, well, you're going to get more people who are unemployed. You're subsidizing people for not working, but then you're taxing them for working. So when you have a payroll tax, what you're doing is you're telling employers, if you want to avoid this tax, minimize your payroll because the payroll tax is what 15.3% tax on payroll. Well, how do you avoid that? Don't hire people. Uh, automate, use machines or robots, outsource, use independent contractors. So the, the government makes labor less efficient by making labor more expensive. And so therefore they create an incentive for employers to try to substitute something else to avoid that tax. So if you really cared about jobs, you would get rid of the jobs tax. In fact, that's what they should call the payroll tax. They should actually call it a jobs tax, right? Because that's what it is. It's a tax on jobs. But of course, if anybody proposed a jobs tax, hey, I'd like to have a jobs tax. Nobody would vote for a jobs tax. But, you know, when it, you call it a payroll tax, so for somehow, uh, you know, people warm up to it because, you know, the government is never honest. So we should get rid of the payroll tax. But of course, we can't because the government is broke. The only way we can really get rid of it is if we get rid of Social Security, which is what we should do. We should eliminate that program now. Now, I recognize that a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Well, they're going to lose money anyway. If we continue to print all this money, Social Security is going to be worthless, right? It will. And I, I mentioned, I think on my podcast before, my father in his book, The Biggest Con, reproduced from the congressional record, William Proxmire, 
stating as much in Congress when they were worried about uh, having to raise taxes to pay Social Security. And Proxmire said, look, you know, it doesn't matter uh, because we have an invention called the printing press and we can print as much money as we need to pay these Social Security benefits. They may be worthless when the recipients receive them, but the benefits will be paid. So that was Proxmire acknowledging that at the end of the day, the Federal Reserve might be called on to make the Social Security payments, except they'll be worthless, but they're going to get paid. Well, what good is being paid in worthless money? That's the same thing as not getting paid. So if we don't do anything to defuse the Social Security time bomb, then everybody who is dependent on Social Security will get wiped out because everybody will get paid in worthless money. You see, if we take my approach and end Social Security and cut government spending across the board, we can salvage the dollar. And then what we can do is we can have a transitionary period where we phase out means-tested Social Security benefits. So people who are unfortunately in such dire circumstances that they need their Social Security to live, they'll continue to get something, right? But everybody else, if you're rich or even comfortable, you don't get the money. You know, you got you to gotta prepare for your own retirement because we can't afford it. The money is not there. If we want to pretend the money is there by printing it, then it won't have any value, right? So my, my, my plan is the only one that actually makes sense to protect people who really need it. But, but what the government is doing is making sure that even the people who really need it get nothing because they're all going to get wiped out through inflation. But, you know, Trump wants more stimulus. He wants more stimulus checks. He does want to extend the enhanced unemployment benefits, only he wants to kind of have some strings, maybe a back-to-work bonus or some way to mitigate the damage done by uh, the, the first plan, which you know was too lucrative and incentivized people to stay on unemployment. Uh, but of course, all unemployment benefits act as an incentive not to return to work. It's just that the higher the benefit, the greater the incentive. Clearly, if you're paying people more money uh, not to work than when they were working, yes, you have a massive incentive not to work, and that is the bigger problem. The only thing I think reasonable that Trump is proposing that I agree with is that Congress needs to pass some type of blanket liability protection for businesses who may get sued uh, by either customers or employees who contract COVID or claim to contract COVID uh, at that business. Of course, you never really know where you get it, uh, but how litigious our society is and, you know, with all the lawyers that we have, uh, it's very risky for businesses now especially small businesses, one lawsuit could wipe you out. So I totally agree uh, with Trump that there needs to be a blanket protection where at least if you follow some kind of standard protocol, you can't get sued. If somebody gets COVID-19 and they want to claim they got it at your, at your place of business, okay, that's their own risk. If, if you don't want to take a chance of getting COVID, then don't go out. Stay in your house, order in. But if you go to a restaurant and then you happen to get COVID at that restaurant, you can't sue the restaurant because you knew COVID was out there and you went to the restaurant anyway. So you're agreeing to expose yourself to a certain amount of risk. The problem in America is everybody wants to blame everybody else when anything goes wrong. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their own actions. Look, you go out to a restaurant, if you drive there, you run the risk 
of getting into a car accident. You can't sue the owner of that restaurant if you got into a car accident on the way to the restaurant. It's not his fault. Just like you can't sue him if you happen to get COVID, even if you get it at his restaurant, right? You're the one that made a decision to drive the car. You're the one that made a decision to eat in the restaurant. You need to deal with the consequences. Now, if, the, if there was rat poison in the food, okay, now you, you, know, now you got a, a legitimate beef. <laughs> but you can't sue because you get a disease that you know is out there and is airborne, right? So that is a good thing. But the problem is the Democrats who are really controlled by the trial lawyers, see, the trial lawyers don't want that. They want, they want to sue. The more, so, the, law, the more lawsuits, the more money they make. So there, this could be, you know, a logjam there. But I'm sure at the end of the day, the Republicans are going to fold because the election is coming up and there's no way that Trump is going to deny uh, anybody more aid. Because I think the way the Democrats are looking at this, any delay works in their favor to the extent that unemployed don't get more benefits, that more stimulus checks don't come. That just weakens the, the, the short term economy driven by spending borrowed money and it's going to put voters in a worse mood and trump is already way behind he's 15 points back in the polls uh he really needs a miracle to turn this around and so he's not going to do anything uh to separate voters from government uh stimulus money so at the end of the day that i think the democrats have all the cards and they are going to push a bigger uh more socialist leaning package although the whole thing is is already socialist but you know they'll just make it more so and that just means it's going to be more expensive it's going to do even more long-term damage uh to the economy to the dollar which is why the dollar is under so much pressure right now which is why gold is going up because people around the world can see the predicament that we are in and there's no way out of this we have now set this thing in motion where you have all these americans who want to stay at home because they don't want to get sick and they've been told that because it's not their fault they can stay at home and they can get money from the government and in fact they can get more money not working than they used to earn when they were working and so that's what people are going to choose so we've now set this thing in motion we have so abused the privilege of issuing the reserve currency we've got to the point where we're saying hey it doesn't matter deficits don't matter we can print as much money as we want nobody has to work nobody has to produce Everybody can have a high standard of living because we're just going to flood the world with our paper money. Well, the world is saying, no, thank you. We're not going to allow this to happen. In fact, the only way to stop it, and there's only one way, the only way is for a dollar crisis. Because until the dollar crashes, we're going to keep borrowing and spending money. The only way to make a stop is for the foreign exchange markets to end the party. See, it's not the bond vigilantes anymore. See, they're long gone because the Fed has taken them out of the game, right? But the only way the Fed is able to prop up the bond market is by sacrificing the dollar. And so it's the dollar that's going to crash before the bonds. And then, of course, the dollar crash ultimately crashes the bonds. But even if bond prices don't crash, bonds are denominated in dollars. So by definition, if the dollar crashes, the bonds have crashed. You've lost all your money in U.S. Treasuries, even if U.S. Treasury bond prices don't drop because the prices are denominated in dollars. And if the dollar loses value, then your bonds have lost value. So that's what's coming. It's the only way this thing can end. And my point is, you got to protect yourself. There's nothing you can do to protect the country. I mean, the country is going to go through this crisis. We can't stop it. 
All we can do is to the best of our ability, protect ourselves and protect our families. And that's what I am you know, trying to help everybody do at Europe Pacific Capital with my managed accounts by getting people out of U.S. dollars into foreign stocks, into precious metals that shift gold or you know, with the Perth Mint here and getting people into gold stocks. Uh, because I recognize that while I can't save the entire country, I can save those few people who are willing to help themselves. Right? And of course, I can't do it for you. Right? At the end of the day, you got to be the one. You got to make the decision to help yourself because I can't help you right, unless you are willing to be helped and you make the effort to, to give us a call and work with the brokers and, and get your portfolio reallocated, get out of Dodge, get out of these overpriced U.S. dollar denominated assets and, and protect yourself. Now, I made a note too. one thing I wanted to just mention to, to wrap up the podcast, going back to my uh, Joe Rogan experience. You know, the student loan crisis came up quite a bit, as it has in previous Rogan podcasts. But we forgot to cover the debt forgiveness, right? Because that's what all these Democrats are talking about, right? Forgiving the debt. And so we never really got a, you know, got around to discussing my view on debt forgiveness. And a lot of people would probably be surprised, but I actually believe that we do need debt forgiveness. Uh, and only because it's the best option available uh, when there are no good options at all. I mean, we, we never should have gotten into this predicament. But I recognize that a lot of young, impressionable teenagers, 17, 18-year-old kids, agreed to take on these loans. And we need to protect kids from doing dumb things, right? I mean— they really were taken advantage of by adults who should have known better, uh, basically, but who lied to a lot of these kids and got them to basically sell their souls. And that's what they did. And, and now they've got these worthless degrees and they're drowning in debt. And it is a huge problem. Uh, and so I'm not oblivious to that problem. I want to solve that problem, but I don't want to solve it in a way that makes it worse I want to solve it in a way that it's actually solved and that we don't find ourselves in this predicament again. You see, the worst thing you could do is to forgive debt, but then continue to make student loans available in the future because the moral hazard is off the charts, right? Because once you open the door to debt forgiveness, and in fact, even the fact that the possibility is out there is encouraging a lot more debt. But once students know that they may not have to repay what they borrow, that their debt is going to be forgiven, well, they will be even less adverse to accumulating the debt. In fact, it's almost like the more debt they have, the greater the likelihood that it'll be forgiven. And so now you have this perverse incentive to go even deeper into debt simply because that's the best way to get it forgiven. And of course, once the colleges know that you don't have to repay the loans, they can actually put that in the brochures. Hey, who cares what college costs? borrow the money because you're never going to have to pay it back, right? So then, you know, then they can start doing all sorts of things. Like they can start including a car, you know, sign up to be a freshman and in included in your tuition is a brand new car. Okay, great. Because now you're just, you know, you're not going to have to pay the money back. So you might as well get a car, right? You're not going to have to pay for it. But even if they don't go, you know, becoming uh, that ridiculous, that is the problem. It is the moral hazard. So the only way that you can do debt forgiveness 
as if it's a one-time thing that will never be repeated again. But the only way to really guarantee that is to end all student loans going forward. So here's how you forgive loans. You basically eliminate student loans, no direct student loans, and no guaranteed loans. Government can't guarantee loans. So government is completely out of the college finance business. So the only way a student could borrow money would be to go to a bank, right? Normally, just like anybody else, and try to get a loan. And of course, the bank would know that the student might not pay it back and that he can go to bankruptcy and have it discharged. See, right now, student loans can't be discharged in bankruptcy. You got to change that and allow them to be discharged in bankruptcy, which in and of itself would amount to forgiveness because I am not for a blanket forgiveness. I want a means-tested forgiveness to minimize the cost to the taxpayer of forgiving all these loans because there is a huge cost to the loans not getting repaid. So obviously, if you're very successful and you're making a lot of money, okay, you got to pay back your loans, you know, but if you're broke and you don't have any assets, uh, you know, I think it's better to forgive the loans, either by an outright forgival or just allow people who are broke to go to bankruptcy and have their loans discharged. But what you have to do is you have to make sure that all these loans stop in the future so that you don't have the moral hazard and so that college tuition will come way down so that people don't need to borrow money to go to college in the future because college won't be nearly as expensive without all these loans. But I know there are some people that say, well, isn't this unfair? What about the people who paid for college? Yeah, that sucks, right? Paying for college sucks if, you know, you could have borrowed the money and you could have gotten it um, uh, forgiven. But that's the problem right now, because right now there are a lot of people who think, and probably rightly so, that the student loans will eventually be forgiven, right? Which is why a lot of people who probably can't afford to pay to college are not doing it. I mean, if you're a smart parent right now, even if you have money set aside for your kid to go to college, what would the smart move be? To take that money and invest it, maybe send it to Euro Pacific Capital and invest it in non-dollars in gold stocks and let your kid borrow the money to go to college. Because then when they forgive the college loans, you'll end up going to college for free. You're a complete sucker if you actually pay for college. Because then your, your, your kids don't have any debt and so they have nothing to be forgiven. So it is a very unfair system, and it punishes the people who did the right thing. But the alternative is to allow young people to drown in debt that they're never going to repay. And just like we let people declare bankruptcy, you know, when they're in over their head, we believe in a second chance and a clean slate. You know, we have to extend the same courtesy to, to a lot of young kids. But we have to recognize the reason they're in this predicament is because of government, because of left-leaning policies, these do-good policies uh, that, you know, where people pretended or thought that they were helping, but ended up hurting the, the very people that they were trying to help. So we need to admit the mistakes. And that, I think, would be part of uh, the forgiveness plan, would be for everyone in Congress to publicly admit that subsidizing student loans was a mistake, <laughs> that Guaranteeing loans was a mistake, that direct loans were a mistake, and that the reason college is so expensive and the reason students have so much debt is because of government and government policies, right? That, the, we need to come up and make that confession, too, right, publicly as part of the whole plan. But, but that's where I stand. But, you know, it's not going to happen. The way student loans are going to be forgiven is the way all loans are going to be forgiven. They're going to be inflated away. 
nobody is really going to have to pay back their student loans or their credit card debt or their auto loans or their mortgages. I mean, they'll pay it back, but they're going to pay it back in worthless money. So that doesn't count. But the problem is the, the, the debtor's gain is the creditor's loss. Because if you get to repay your loans in worthless money, that means you're repaid in worthless money. And so that means we wipe out the savings of a generation of Americans who have them. Because there are Americans who are retired now and who are nearing retirement who own these assets. They are the creditors. They have money in bonds, whether it's corporate, municipal, uh, uh, treasuries. They have CDs. They have fixed annuities. They have cash value in a life insurance. They have a pension. They are America's creditors. They are about to get wiped out. That is the point. And so if you don't want to get wiped out by inflation, then you need to take action now to untax yourself, right? It's an inflation tax, and you got to build up your, your, your tax shelter from inflation. And the way that you shelter your assets from inflation is you get out of the dollar because that is the currency that's being inflated. You know, my son tweeted out the other day, year over year, money supply is up about 25%. That is the true inflation rate. We are inflating the money supply by 25%. And you know what? It's going up from here. This is massive inflation. This is an enormous tax. And you don't have a lot of time if you want to avoid this tax. So I'm here to help you. So please take advantage of, uh, of what we're offering. Oh, while I'm talking about Twitter, I also want to mention my newest social media account, Instagram, more people are now following me. I'm over 28,000 followers. So I guess it's not bad for a little over a week. But considering that I have over 260,000 followers on Twitter and almost 350,000 subscribers to this YouTube channel, and I have well over 100,000 people who regularly listen to my podcast on a daily basis, I should have a lot more Instagram followers than I do. It's no big deal. You just go over to Instagram and follow me. And if you don't have an account, just set one up and then follow me. Right? So don't be a slacker. Help me out. I'm intending to use Instagram a lot more. But first, I need to build up a bit of a following because it doesn't make sense for me to use it a lot if I don't have a lot of followers. But once I have a good army of followers, uh, then you guys can help me spread the truth to a lot of the younger people who are on Instagram because I want to get to some of these young people who are being completely brainwashed uh, by the media and, and by their schools, either uh, in their uh, K through 12 or in secondary or rather in, in universities. They're getting completely brainwashed when it comes to uh, economics and understanding this country. And so they're all on Instagram. And so maybe if I'm on Instagram, too, I can get to them and I can be persuasive and be a voice of reason to counteract all the nonsense that they're being bombarded with on a daily basis. 